Hey, listeners, we're back with some fresh perspectives in securities finance. Where the street comes for some good stock loan information and a few laughs. And where beneficial owners come to learn. This is ESEC Lending Insights. Let's get over to our episode. There's a lot going on. I would start with Mike Brooks, but that would probably be both the start and end of our 20-minute podcast. So I think we should start elsewhere. You guys asked me to do all these things. I'm happy to just go about my day, do my little work on my little (laughs) computers, and just mind my business, talk to my few guys, and call it a day. We like hearing from you, especially (laughs) when there's no breath for about an eight to 10-minute stretch. Reminds me of myself, actually. So don't worry. It's a good thing. All right, friends. I think we should start with McNeil because you're back in the land of deal trading, right? Slowly hoping to do more. Yeah, absolutely. We had a tender offer pop up last week. And it's what I'd call like a medium-sized opportunity. So in this case, CMI is spinning off ATMU. So this looks similar to other tenders where it's a main index equity. In this case, an S&P 500 stock spinning off a company they hold on their balance sheet. So for our clients and for beneficial owners, take no action stock is being bid right now around 55 cents. And what borrowers are looking for is, like I said, that election and stability through the completion of the deal, which is March 14th. So it's certainly given us something entertaining and from a revenue standpoint, worthwhile to focus on the last couple of weeks. It's been a hard couple of weeks slash start to the year. You guys, I know there was a lot of manual processing, not just for us, but across the market, just because of service level outages. How would you sort of summarize? Obviously, now this is kind of the first deal name of the year that I think has any real attention. I know we do a lot of funding-driven transactions and trading. I know that's had to continue throughout that whole period of more of a manually intensive environment. How would you summarize? Where are we? I guess we're almost to late Feb. February goes by so quickly. We're past mid-February at this point. So yeah, if you were to recap, let's just assume next week is largely unchanged to where you are today. How would you recap the first two months then? Roller coaster ride? Yeah. So if you looked at the data, you would probably say like, oh, the average fee was pretty boring. And there wasn't like a ton of change, you know, in the securities lending market. But, you know, for anyone closely following along, to your point, we obviously had a bunch of automated trading go offline. And it brought initially maybe some organized chaos to the trading desk. But then I think everyone did a nice job falling into what they found to be the solutions that work best for their firm. Everyone really leaned on their partnerships and kind of probably dusted off some old processes. And I think, especially for us, we found some new efficiencies or new pockets of value. You know, in particular, we found our corporate bond book and our EM bond book has done really well just trading off the desk and in Bloomberg's and on the phone, just kind of like, you know, a lot of trades used to be agreed 10 years ago. So knowing now that that value proposition exists, and now that we can begin to leverage automation again, I'm excited about what that book could look like six months from now. And that's just one example. So yeah, like I said, if, if you looked at like the average fee or some of like the typical data points that summarize our securities lending market, you wouldn't really see anything, but certainly it's been entertaining beneath the surface. Jim, you have a lot of experience in this market. Yes, I do. Would you like to maybe add to what Mark said? And also like the whole concept of sort of dusting off procedures, revisiting. I mean, in some ways, it also ended up probably being an opportunity to really train newer team members on processes and how things work behind the scenes, I would imagine, too. Any other takeaways from the past month or two? 
I've been pleasantly surprised. I thought it would have been a bigger operational mess for us than it has been. Not to say we don't need automation, we 100% do, but not. I was surprised how much of the flow was handled by both the brokers and agent lenders alike. So it wasn't as big a deal. I always feared that any outage would have been DEFCON 5 and it definitely wasn't. So felt good about it. And then just to revert back to M&A, we switched gears too quick. I don't know if Mark has an opinion on this, but with presidential elections in the U.S. coming up in November, I think there's a big school of thought that we're just going to see an avalanche of M&A and deal-related announcements if Republicans take office, specifically Donald Trump would win that nomination. I think he'd be more deal-friendly to the market. So we've been pretty optimistic. Anybody who listens to our podcast, pretty optimistic about M&A for this year. And I think we still kind of buy it, but it's not as open spigot as it could be and as it might be next year or the end of this year as we get closer to that election. There may be just an absolute ton of backloaded 2024, early Q1, 25 activity. I don't know, Mark, if you're hearing that from any of the brokers. Yeah, I think some of the tax advantaged strategies have certainly been in focus, you know, and it's definitely some headline risk, I think, associated with the outcome of the election. So if you remember, we do have a big deal that's due to close in Q3, which is the Siri Liberty Media trade, which is ongoing, obviously. And that's not a sense for share opportunity, but, you know, it's the top hard to borrow in the market from a value standpoint. You know, it seems like every year right around, say, Labor Day, a big trade pops up that is a large cap or mega cap that's performing some type of a spinoff. And, you know, it was J&J last year, Dow DuPont another year, I think, so Seems like to Jim's point, whether it's year end, the election cycle, there's always something that seems to happen right around the end of summer time frame and right around Labor Day. More topical to the market today, Rivian's down like 25%. I saw a handful of other EV names down. Are you seeing any covering in that? That's kind of hashtag winning for the hedge funds in terms of the direction of that trade. Is it going to continue? Are you seeing rates ease? Are you seeing supply come back? Is it too early? Just curious, the last couple of weeks, what you've been seeing. Yes, we saw Spot pick up a bit for some of those names, like Lucid was one. Then while EV is its own thematic play, you know, sometimes you see like the same pocket of names heat up every time, like Beyond Meat has been printing at neg 400, neg 500. And it seems like they'll all kind of go special at the same time. If you zoom out, every single time there's a little bounce in the share price, the Spot market seemed to pick up. In like Beyond Meat, for example, had rallied with the broader market for the past month. And now it's beginning to turn over a bit. And the average rates are at like neg 135, spots still around three, four, 500. Yeah, it seems like some of these names that certainly aren't at the valuations they were 18 months ago, but probably trading higher than they were six weeks ago are being shorted again. And you probably have some long-term shorts that have been in for a while, but then you likely have other people that are in and out in three days, four days, two weeks. And we're definitely seeing a pickup in that activity. Any nibbling in Tesla stock? Just curious, that's a benchmark. I remember half a decade to a decade ago when it traded a little special anyway, at least, and it made a difference because of the stock price. So wondering as a bellwether, are you seeing anything there? When I joined the trading desk like seven years ago, Tesla was the top hard to borrow. So it's probably been that long. So Tesla is one of our more highly utilized GC names. It's been a great source of funding, both cash and non-cash. Obviously, there's a ton of supply out there. Yeah, it's been a well-borrowed name, but certainly rates aren't moving anywhere off GC. One more sector question for you, since we're on technologies. (coughs) On the back of all this mega cap rallying around AI, 
whether it's NVIDIA or Microsoft or any of the other companies touching AI, looking at AI, reporting on AI efforts, are you starting to see any short interest in any of those names, even at the fringe or any chats with your broker coverage around that as a sector play? I worry about, I remember the weed play in Canada and how fantastic it was for a while. And then stock prices went to two bucks across the board and the trade was over and it was gone. And so I worry that EV could be in that space. Don't freak out, Brooke. I know Rivian's still- I was going to say, is this just like get under Brooke's skin today? Is that what this is all about? Uh, nope. I see you going back there, Jim. So I just love had to the, ask. Love the product. Love the truck. I'm with you. Lucid's at two bucks. And so it feels a little bit like Tilray to me at this point. So I'm worrying <laughs> about sector play. So Mark, any thoughts around AI? And do you think primes are expecting that to be a play in the future? Yeah, I think it's a play now. So, you know, to your point, you have some of these mega caps like NVIDIA that have certainly been high flying. Some of those top NASDAQ 100 names have been well borrowed for a while now. Those aren't going to move off GC, but similar to Tesla, great source of funding. It's a nice GC trade. But then you have the other part of the AI sector, and it's hard to group them together because the companies are so different. But you have some of these negative cash flow companies or maybe IPO type companies that do trade hard to borrow. So it almost be like comparing, say, Lucid to Tesla, you know, or one's like this well-established company that has an S&P 500 name and the other, you know, is a company that's announcing layoffs, has negative cash flow, things like that. So some of those smaller AI companies, small cap, mid cap, negative cash flow companies that kind of look like the shorts that we've seen really come to the market in the past 24 months, companies who valuation skyrocket in the zero interest rate environment, those are trading hard to borrow, probably will continue to. And then those mega caps, those certainly have been a good source of funding and I'd expect them to be on a go forward basis. Excellent. Thank you. Mr. Brooks. Give Mike some mic time. Talk to us. Tell us about all things, short-term markets, treasury I, curve, I, specials, non-specials, funding markets, yeah, interest rates. I forgot that I was on this call. I actually thought I was working and I had a podcast on in the background. And I just, and I just looked, I was like, oh, I know these people. So. <laughs> that was like 15 minutes of me just zoning out and just working. But It's uh, the sweet sounds of yeah. Brooke and Jim it, podcasting. Yeah, it, make, it makes you feel better. It, it, it did sound like a real podcast I had on like, just like in the <laughs> okay. background Good. while I was working. But yeah, it's been busy here to start the new year. No surprise where front-end participant focus has been. All eyes have been on the Fed. All eyes have been on recent economic data. December was a big inflection point. Feels like a long time ago, kind of from a market standpoint, where we were talking about a massive Fed pivot. You're seeing soft landing chatters were really increasing that the fact that it's possible, inflation data was improving, labor data getting a little looser, and the Fed officials seemed open to readjusting their dot plot and kind of moving things in the opposite direction. Markets loved that. They took that in stride. At that point, it was about 180 bits priced into 2024. So massive price discovery across the curve, both in lending markets as well as our reinvest side. Got through the new year. A lot of things have changed since then. We've had some unexpected surprises to the upside, both in inflation data, labor data, GDP data, kind of causing the Fed to pull back the reins on some of that pivot information. Even as recently as yesterday, we had the release of the January Fed minutes that really just cautioned the market about the pace of cuts and really the when a pivot makes the most sense and kind of some of the risks that it can cause the market if we start going a little bit too fast here. So what that's done, it's caused a massive sell-off in rates. Yields are back to rising. 
pricing. Now looking across the curve, 2024 has now priced in about just three cuts. And a lot of people think the first cut won't be until late Q2, early Q3 at this point. So obviously a massive readjustment there. So that has caused a few opportunities in the front end, especially across the specials curve, just really causing increase of yields typically increases the short base. So we're seeing shorts piling up into some of these on the runs. And then just the breadth and the speed of some of the rate moves here has caused quick dislocations. And so it's happening across the cash treasury curve, which is making itself into the repo markets and obviously our sec lending market here. And really the issues that are in focus are the ones that already have scarce liquidity that are held in lending accounts that don't lend typically or that just have very small Fed holding positions and just less avenues for borrowers to gain access and gain supply. So we're seeing scarcity bids really pick up across the curve. It's really drought. Bill market continues to be very well bid. The two to five year sector has seen their on the run issues trade south of 100 bips this week. We've had the 20 year, which was the main story in December, keep its strong bid and strong borrower locate the entirety of this year. And then obviously the 10-year sector, which is typically the benchmark sector that a lot of people focus on, has had a lot of value as well. So from a specials perspective and those lenders that hold good allocations, it's been a good story. I think we've been pretty bullish on it. It's definitely picked up the last couple of weeks, which is nice because the start of the year was pretty lackluster. So I think as long as we have some of this uncertainty, as long as we have some of these I guess, higher for longer narratives continuing to kind of be priced in here. It should be a good story as we move through. So our books have definitely benefited from that. And it's definitely something that would be a nice way to kind of close out Q1 and kind of on that high note. Funding, really with a lot of this uncertainty in the, as I said, the macro views, you've seen investors really not want to take direction on what the Fed's going to do. And what that typically means is a lot of money just parked very short to better react to any kind of interest rate sensitivity, any interest rate moves. So for our lending books, it just means a lot of money piling up at the front end and GC rates going lower. So we've seen pretty good demand, both open and term, to continue to increase utilizations across HQLA assets. So treasuries and agencies have both been in strong demand. That spread between treasuries and agencies has come in some too. So our portfolios are definitely better utilized. Our markets this year have been in good demand. We have a lot of trades coming up that are maturing that we did in Q3 and Q4 that are being reset lower. And that's really across the board. I think every trade we've done so far this year has been put on at a better rate than where it's coming off. So that's definitely a good story. Borrower breadth, I feel, is pretty good. We've added some new guys to the mix. Some guys that typically maybe don't show the strongest bids have wanted to keep collateral, have had some room to be flexible with us. And we've had some who we've had just legacy balances on with looking to add new paper. So for us, we think those are all good signs of you know our ability to A, raise cash and B, kind of increase utilizations, especially as there was some, I won't say concern around some of these dynamics, but with different regulatory and balance sheets dynamics, you know, people were worried about how much can you raise and the ability to raise funding in a short amount of time. So I say to South 2024, we feel in pretty good shape about this. Can I ask you about more selfish than anything? Because I'm actually looking at a portfolio now that has a bunch of treasury strips in it. And I was thinking about how they were trading six months ago. How are they trading now? And how do you think they're going to behave for the rest of the year, given rate expectations? Yeah, I mean, Treasury strips, you know, they get HQLA denomination for all banks. So they typically trade right on top of just normal Treasury GC. Some might price in a BIP higher, mostly because of the collateral play where it might cost them a little bit more to fund the Treasuries when they borrow them in. And that's simply because... There are some end users, so either some money funds or 
state accounts, tech lenders who, for whatever reason, and usually it's the pricing component of a strip, either principal or coupon, that take off strips from their collateral schedule. So there's just less end users than maybe compared to notes or bonds. But all in all, we have strips in our program in the clients where their typical notes and bonds are highly utilized. We have no issue getting bids there. And they most of the time, more often than not, look on par with where our typical GC bids are. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, that's really helpful. Although, you know, what would be more helpful. I think that we need some sort of color coding system for you, Mike, or like, you know, a scale system. What I'd love to know at the start of an update is I was feeling at a level, you know, four about market conditions. And today I'm moved up to a level six. Like I have more excitement, more energy, and therefore more is happening in the positive. Like, I think if we just started it with some sort of red light, green light, or color coding system or number scale, I think we could really refine this. Red light, green light was my favorite camp game growing up. So I can do that. I liked that camp game as well. So, all right. Okay. Well, we're going to work on that. We're going to give you some new branding to lead into all of your updates, but I appreciate it. It was helpful. Thank you. You guys have a lot on your plate in the coming weeks. Jim, in particular, you are getting on a jet plane. Actually, are you all going somewhere next week together or Mark, are you as well? All right. We have our whole team doing different rounds with clients next week. We have a bunch of client meetings, but then Jim, you're taking off. You're going from one side of the US all the way around to Asia and not doing it in an efficient way whatsoever. No, no, poor planning. uh, Yeah. Asla is in Singapore the first week of March. So I will be there a couple of days. Yeah. All right. Well, we will podcast again, at least as an ESEC team. I know Jim and I are going to sneak in another guest podcast conversation, hopefully in between the two, but we will do so as a team once you're back from PASLA and some of the other meetings across the market and hopefully have more then. But are you going to give us any preview, anything you're expecting or not expecting to happen in terms of market updates, information? Uh, I'm sure I'll have plenty to complain about when we come back on our next podcast. Uh, how I somehow botched the travel because I always do. All right. Do you have any shopping goals for this particular work uh, trip ahead of you? No, I don't. It's a good question. No, unlike you, I got all my shopping. Taken I know. Care of. Mark, Mike, I told Jim this week that I have massive regrets about the IMN conference. And my biggest regret is that I didn't also do as Jim did and buy cowboy boots because now Beyonce has come out with her country Country album (laughs) and it is amazing. And it is sort of my everything right now. I just booked Cinco de Mayo in Nashville yesterday. So I will be borrowing Jim's boots if you're a size 12 by chance, Jim. (laughs) I'm not, but you can bring them if you want, just as good luck. (laughs) That's true. It'd be like a rabbit's foot around the neck. (laughs) Exactly. A good place to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Very yeah, nice. I'm excited. You guys All made right. me jealous when you guys came back, so I felt like I had to go on my own dime. Okay, well, next time we'll bring you with us, so don't worry, Mike. All right, any parting words, folks? Nope. Plenty of potting in the next month, so stay tuned for new drops. Okay, we're going to work on the lingo. All right, thanks, friends. Fly safe, travel safe, be well. Bye, friends. Uh, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Let us know what you think. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. 
This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of, nor liability for, decisions based on such information. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.